This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe through the lens of disability. My name is Nicole, I'm your host, and I'm thrilled to have you here. So what is on the examination table today? Well, we are going to be looking at 2014's It Follows, directed by David Robert Mitchell and starring Micah Monroe. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy, driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. Okay, you awake? What are you doing? You're not gonna believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. I'm scared. I need to find him. What did he really do to you? Apparently, he used a fake name to rent a house in the city. This isn't real. I swear to you, this is just some game. If it kills her, it gets me and goes straight down the line whoever started it. What exactly is supposed to be following you? I don't know. Something happened. It's not what she thinks, okay? You don't believe me. Mom? No, it's me. Everything's okay. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. All right, let's get into that plot synopsis. A young girl named Annie flees from her house in fear, but there is no visible threat. She takes her parents' car and drives to the beach, where she tearfully tells her dad over the phone she loves him. By dawn, it is revealed that she has been brutally murdered. Jamie, or Jay Height, an Oakland University student, goes on a date with her new boyfriend, Hugh, to the movies. Hugh points out a young girl in the back of the theater. When Jay says she cannot see the girl, Hugh becomes unnerved and asks if they leave. On another date, Hugh and Jay have sex in his car, but afterwards he incapacitates Jay with chloroform and she wakes up tied to a wheelchair. Hugh explains that he has passed an entity onto her through intercourse. It will perpetually be walking towards Jay's location at all times, no matter where she is. If it catches Jay, it will kill her and pursue the 
previous person to have passed it on to her, Hugh, who is passing it on to Jay as leverage. Hugh's claims are proven real when a naked woman appears and walks straight for Jay. Hugh drives Jay home and flees. The next day, the police cannot find the naked woman or Hugh, who was living under a false identity. At school, Jay sees an old woman in a hospital gown walking towards her, invisible to others. Jay's sister Kelly and her friends Paul and Yara agree to help and spend the night in Jay and Kelly's house. That night, someone smashes the kitchen window. Paul investigates but sees no one. Inside the house, Jay sees a disheveled, urinating, half-naked woman walking towards her and runs upstairs to the others, who cannot see the entity. When a tall man enters the bedroom, Jay flees the house. Her friends catch up to her at a nearby playground. With the help of their neighbor, Greg, the group discovers Hugh's real name, Jeff, and traces him to his address. Jeff's mother answers the door, and Jay realizes that the naked woman she had seen coming for her in the Packard plant was in the form of Mrs. Redmond. Jeff explains that the entity began pursuing him after a one-night stand, and that Jay can pass it on by having sex with someone else. Greg drives Jay, Kelly, Yara, and Paul to his family's lake house and teaches Jay to shoot a revolver. The entity arrives in the form of Yara and attacks Jay on the lakefront. Jay's friends ward it off by bringing a chair over his body, and Jay shoots it several times until it falls over, but it recovers unharmed and attacks Jay again, this time taking the form of a boy who lives next door to Jay. She flees in Greg's car, crashes into a cornfield, and wakes up in a hospital with a broken arm. Greg has sex with Jay in the hospital as he does not believe the entity exists. Days later, Jay sees the entity in the form of Greg walking towards Greg's house, smashing a window at Greg's house and entering. Jay tries to warn the real Greg by telephone, but he does not answer. She runs into the house and finds the entity in the form of Greg's half-naked mother knocking on his door before it jumps on Greg. Jay sees the entity having sex with a dead Greg, then flees by car and spends the night outdoors. On the beach, Jay sees three young men on a boat. She then undresses and walks into the water. Back home, Paul, eager to take the risk, offers Jay the opportunity to pass it on to him, but she refuses. The group plans to kill the entity by luring, by luring it into a swimming pool and dropping electrical appliances into the water. Jay, waiting in the pool, spots the entity and realizes it has taken the appearance of her deceased father. Instead of entering the pool, it throws the devices at her. Firing at an invisible target, Paul accidentally wounds Yara, but shoots the entity in the head. They then cover it with a sheet, and Paul shoots it once more, causing it to fall into the pool. As Jay tries to get out of the pool, it pulls her underwater by the ankle. Paul shoots it again in the head, and it sinks to the bottom, allowing Jay to escape. She approaches the pool and sees it filling with blood. Jay and Paul then have sex. That night, Paul drives through town, passing sex workers. Later, Jay and Paul walk down the street holding hands as a figure walks behind them.
I'm really excited to dig into the meat of It Follows because I think there's so much to unpack around disability and illness. But before we get to that, I do kind of want to provide a little bit of background and just give some general thoughts on the film because I think that is a little bit helpful for context, perhaps. So, like I said, this film was released in 2014, but this is what I like to refer to as the festival timeline. It was playing festivals in 2014, but didn't get its wide release until spring of 2015 here in the U.S. I state this because Micah Monroe's uh, other film, The Guest, had uh, premiered around the same time, but had gotten um, a limited release in the U.S. in late 2014. Now, if you haven't seen The Guest, highly recommend. It's a great film, but had gotten some pretty positive critical uh, reviews. And so there was a slight buzz carryover into It Follows from that in going through a number of different reviews and pieces around It Follows and kind of prep for this episode, the thing that always stood out to me was how people connected to its use of technology and how it established a really interesting time period for the film that seemed both current and modern, but also retro in a lot of ways. This is reinforced with its very heavy synth soundtrack, which I actually really love. I mean, you hear the intro music. I, I love a little synth wave moment, but it helps create this world that is both cemented in a modern time, but also seems slightly disconnected. And so it kind of creates a timeless feel. To the film and a lot of people note this um, everything from the cell phone at the very very beginning of the film one of the things I noted in my most recent recent rewatch was that it it has a, a kind of old-timey phone ringtone so it's again using tech but kind of rooting it in a very specific way. It's a unique approach to it, and I really like it. Uh, obviously, the other kind of main tech used in this film, and really the only other piece of tech used in this film, is the clam uh, kind of e-reader that Yara has. Something that seems both modern yet dated. It's a really strange and interesting kind of uh, dissonance there that I think really works for this film. And of course, you also see this in uh, all elements of the film, particularly with the vehicles. All the vehicles that we see the main characters using are older cars. The only modern car that we really see utilized is that by Annie at the very, very beginning, but we only get a couple of shots of it. The setting of Detroit is also a really important factor in this because we see segments of the city that have been in neglect, giving us a sense of a setting that's lost in time. But let's start to peel back a little bit about how illness and disability are handled. 
in this film. And to start off with that discussion, we have to start with director-writer Mitchell himself. So the concept of this film stemmed from nightmares that he had as a kid about a shape-shifting monster in pursuit of him. And the elements of having this monster and this entity chase you be something that could be passed on through intercourse was something that was only added on as he fleshed out the story as a way to connect the characters emotionally and physically. So I mentioned that because it's not necessarily something that was baked into the concept from the beginning. Now the last bit of background that I want to provide here is that this film does have an actor with a disability featured. And by featured, I mean only in the film for a few seconds, but I think is probably one of the most iconic moments of the film. And that would be The Tall Man. The Tall Man was played by Mike Lanier, who was born with a condition called acromegaly which is a condition where someone produces an excessive amount of growth hormone. So he was seven feet, seven inches in height, as well as his twin brother. Sadly, uh, he passed away in 2018 at the age of 48 due to both complications of his disability and pancreatic cancer. So let's start looking at this film's themes and ideas and how they relate to disability and illness. Now, because It Follows is a story of a sexually transmitted curse, I really want to focus in on two specific elements, and that is stigma and isolation. So let's start with stigma. Now, the concept of stigma as it relates to sexually transmitted infections is probably something that we all kind of understand at some level. Individuals that contract a sexually transmitted infection are often looked down upon. They haven't been careful enough. They have engaged in risky behavior. Well, stigma around disability is very similar in a lot of different ways, specifically when we are talking about specific conditions. You know, oh, well, this happened because you weren't taking care of yourself, because you weren't following a certain diet, or you weren't exercising enough, or any number of things. Your illness is your fault for not doing X, Y, or Z. Another component to how stigma plays a part here is in how it impacts the way that individuals value folks with disabilities. So individuals with invisible disabilities, let's say, um, you know, when they disclose to someone that, you know, oh, I have this autoimmune disorder or I have this heart issue or whatever the case may be, suddenly the person that they have told will look at them a little bit differently and have a different kind of value assessment, making all of these assumptions about what they can do, what they can't do, their history, the whole kit and caboodle. The way that stigma plays out in It Follows is slightly different in that Jay is not necessarily shamed for having sex with Hugh slash Jeff, 
but she isn't necessarily believed when she talks about the repercussions. When she's talking about it and how she now has this curse. I'll circle back to the reaction of her friends and sister uh, when she discloses to them what has happened and the fact that she's now cursed. I'll do that a little bit more towards the end. But I think it's important to point out here that this is just another way that stigma presents. Is that, you know, I can talk to you about my disability, but it's going to be essentially dismissed. Now, a bulk of this comes from the fact that this is something that only impacts Jay and Jay alone. It isn't something that's tangible to anyone really around her. The only person that she kind of knows that has any kind of understanding of this is the person that dumped her off in the middle of the street after having sex with her and then chloroforming her and saying, well, now you got a curse, deal with it. So this leads me to kind of the next component, and that is isolation. Jay is really on her own with this, despite the fact that she does have supportive uh, friends and family around her. In fact, there are multiple instances, particularly early on, where they just flat out don't believe her when she says, "Uh, there's someone here, I can see them. They think that she is being hysterical or something. They're not seeing it, so they don't believe her. This is completely isolating and I think has an impact that we don't even necessarily see play out fully in the film. When it does get close, Jay's reaction is to isolate, to get herself away from other people. And I think it's both part and parcel to, you know, get away from it, but also knowing that her friends and family are safe and that it's only if she's there that there could be any kind of perceived danger. I think this is really played out well in the scene when they are at the lake house where it, that first presents as Yara, Um, comes up behind Jay, we see shots of Yara in the lake. And so we know instantly that something is off. But it's really well done because the shots that we get of Yara in the lake kind of piggyback off of our first shot of it as Yara coming up. So it takes us a moment to realize what's really happening. It approaches Jay, pulls her hair, and Paul tries to knock it out with a chair. And what happens is that Paul ends up getting a little banged up in the process. I think he has um, either a gash or something on his stomach because you get just a really uh, minute uh, momentary shot of his gut and there seems to be a mark there. And so once Jay is able to kind of get away from it, she leaves in the car and isolates herself. And it's because this is really a safety mechanism, not only for herself, but for those around her. She doesn't want to 
put those around her at any additional risk. Now, how this plays out with disability. Those of us with disabilities can often feel like a burden to our loved ones. And, you know, it's better if we keep distance. You see this also play out in some cases where someone is dealing with some mental health issues, where I'm feeling depressed or I'm having some type of mental health emergency and my reaction is to keep myself away from other people when in fact having other folks that you can rely on for support is really important. And Jay's circle of friends and her sister have proven that they are there to be there as a support system for her. Um, you know, they're doing all of these things without even really seeing uh, it, without understanding what it is. And so this is also, I think, the moment in the film where it does become slightly more tangible to folks. You know, we see the threat really kind of presented, even though they don't see it itself, they see that someone is breaking through the door of the barn that they go and hide into. Um, you know, again, Paul has been injured. So it's not just Jay that can feel the impacts of this. So um, again, just wanting to kind of hit on this idea that with isolation, it can be really, really challenging in terms of, you know, you need support, but you don't want to be a burden. And this is, I think, something that plays out in the film in terms of how Jay approaches what to do about the curse. Because the solution that is presented is, well, sleep with someone. And then they have the curse. And then they sleep with someone, then that person has the curse. But this is such a makeshift solution. And I say makeshift in that it's something that has no stability, no longevity. You can sleep with someone, but you have no idea how long they're going to be able to survive. And then it just falls back to you. We see this with Greg. She sleeps with him because, as she tells Paul, she believes that he can handle it, whatever that means. But Greg is kind of a disbeliever. He doesn't really think that it exists. And they go, I think, a number of days where it doesn't materialize to Greg. But when it does, Jay tries to warn him. But again, because he hasn't really understood or assessed the risk of it, it gets him via the form of his mom. And there's a number of kind of different components to this. Did Jay tell him, well, it can take the form of someone that you know, someone that you love, someone that you trust, someone that you think is right there, and it makes sense that they would be right there. We don't know, but this just speaks to the fact that, you know, the solution may be to just sleep with someone and pass it on, but it is always going to be there. And I think that that's something that speaks to disability as well, and that, you know, Disability is disability. It's often something that is a lifelong thing that we live with, whether it's something that you're born with or something that 
occurs in life. It's something that is just part of you and it doesn't leave. You don't get to wake up and turn off that part of you. And I think that that's something that Jay struggles with alone is that she every day is going to wake up knowing that this thing, it can get her. Now, one of the last things I kind of want to loop in here as we talk about disability and illness is the fact that watching this in a COVID-19 impacted world makes certain ideas and themes scream a lot louder than I think seeing it originally in 2015. The fact that there is this thing that you can't see that can cause you harm is one element of it. But you're also dealing with the fact that this one person who is essentially at the greatest risk of harm because she's the one being pursued has difficulty convincing others that the threat is real. And she's dealing with that alone. I think being someone that is disabled amidst the pandemic has been challenging in a very similar way. You know, lots of people have said, oh, well, it, you know, it's just a cold. It's just the flu. Well, first off, I don't like to be sick with a cold or a flu. It's not something that I find necessarily pleasant. So if I can just avoid that anyway, that's okay. You know, I'm not seeking that as part of my day-to-day -day experience. But it's also just how even the people that love Jay, that are there in Jay's corner, just don't necessarily understand or appreciate kind of where she's coming from. She wants to protect herself and protect others. And they're just having a lot of difficulty understanding the mechanics around it. And it's understood. Let's also talk a little bit about kind of the safety and precautions of it all. Now, we talked a little bit about this in terms of the STI allegory. But I think as it relates to the pandemic, as safe and as cautious and as vigilant as Jay may be, the threat is always going to be there. It's basically how she moves from moment to moment and how she assesses various risks. One moment that stood out to me in my most recent rewatch is when she and Greg go to the school to find out Hughes slash Jeff's real identity. There's a moment as they are just getting ready to leave the school where um, I think Jay maybe has her head down in the car and I don't know what Greg is doing. I don't know what anyone else is doing in the car because you're just kind of looking at the back of Greg and Jay's heads. But you see it directly in front of the car and approaching the car. And there's no reaction. And that's because any second of not being vigilant, not being careful can lead to your demise. Now, this is life in general, right? Every day we take 
any number of certain risks in our well-being. And we gauge that accordingly. But what is, I think, really striking about this is that Jay, kind of representing someone with a disability in the midst of a pandemic, she's the one that's going to get killed. It's not Greg. It's not Paul. It's not Yara. It's not her sister. It's her. And again, I think that that is a weight that doesn't necessarily translate to everyone until we get a little bit further into the film. And suddenly when someone else is injured or there's tangible proof of something going awry that cannot be explained away um, through any other method, that's when it becomes real. And that's when they can say, okay, well, you're right. We do need to operate maybe in this way. I think it also plays out in a really interesting way with Greg and Paul both as being individuals that sleep with Jay to kind of take on the curse. So Paul says that he is, you know, willing to sleep with Jay. And we know it's because he has a crush on her and they begin to form this kind of connection. But it also, he's coming at it from, I think, a very similar approach of Greg, which is like, well, it's all, you know, like, it's not going to hurt me. It can't hurt me. I'll be able to be fine with this curse. And Jay has tried to demonstrate that that's not how it works. So I don't know. I, I just felt in this um, most recent rewatch that it just, these scenes were screaming a lot louder than they had previously and really stuck out to me as being relevant in this time, especially now in this phase of the pandemic where you have people that are like, pandemic what? Pandemic who? Like, everything is open. Everything is fine. Well, there's still some risk. And it's those of us with underlying health conditions that take on that risk. And it's hard to communicate that to other folks. And if we do, we're often ridiculed and mocked by being too cautious or too afraid. And that's not the case. We're just trying to do our best to keep ourselves healthy and keep those around us healthy. And I think that's really where Jay is coming from. I think that's going to wrap it up in terms of talking about disability and illness. But, you know, one of the things that I really love about this film, and I think a lot of people love about this film, is how it just, it's so open to interpretation. There's a lot of different ways to kind of take apart and approach its themes. A lot of pieces that I read uh, focus on trauma and how you're dealing with a character that has experienced sexual assault and kind of living with the aftermath of that. And as someone that's experienced sexual assault, yeah, I definitely felt that in my bones as well. I think it's just a film that rewards a lot of rewatches because you're able to kind of peel apart different layers with each rewatch and you're able to get 
little different moments that maybe uh, you missed on the previous watch. So if you haven't seen it, I, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's really, really good. And yeah, the soundtrack is stellar. Even though it kind of came along in a time where that synth wave seemed to be the jam for uh, scores, I think that this really stands out as being something that's really exceptional. So highly recommend. And with all of that said, let's get to the housekeeping. Bodies of Horror is a proud member of the Anatomy of a Scream Paw Squad. So if you're here and you haven't subscribed to the Anatomy of a Scream feed, what are you doing? First off, how are you here? Secondly, subscribe, rate, review, do all of those things. As I always point out, the Anatomy of the Scream pod squad is always growing. And I believe this week we have a new member of the fan, and that is the Alter Tapes. So we are partnering with Alter Weekly, and you're not going to want to miss out on this. It's really cool. So check that out. Now, if you want to reach out to me, I am taking a little bit of a break from social media. Things were just feeling a little bit heavy and just um, not great. So um, hoping that maybe stepping away for a, a little short amount of time will be helpful. Um, but you can always reach out to me via email. And that email is bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. I love to hear from folks and, you know, let me know what you think of episodes. Let me know if you have ideas for films that you would love to see covered. That's always really helpful because, you know, I I try to seek out interesting films and, and films that we can always connect. But, hey, I'm only one person. And if you have suggestions, I am here for them. So, as always, thank you so much for listening and until next time. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.